You're listening to It's All Dead, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. I'm Kyle Hawk. Welcome to It's All Dead. Thank you for joining the podcast today. I'm Kyle Hawk. Happy to have you along um, as we, you know, work through the spring months, heading towards the summer months, still inside. Um, I am, at least anyway. I hope everybody out there is staying safe. Um, you know, this is, it, it's getting, you know, the, the longer that we've kind of been locked up and quarantined, the the harder it is, right, to not want to be out and about. And I know for me, one of the things that um, has been especially tough this year is just I've had, just like everybody had, pretty much all of my summer concert plans canceled. Um, but today on the podcast, just, you know, here in Indianapolis, the sun's out, it's shining, it's springtime, summer's just around the corner, and I wanted to take a little bit of time doing a fun exercise to kind of help make believe about um, better summers ahead in, in terms of music. And in order to do so, I've invited along um, a couple folks that you know well, you love them, uh, I hope. Kyle, Nadia from It's All Dead, welcome to the show. Hello. Hey. Yay. We're loved. <laughs> you are beloved. Um Except for Kyle sometimes when he writes about saves the day. But other than that, <laughs> um, well, I have been kind of like, so the idea I had for this show, I've been battling insomnia lately, which really sucks. Like I spend hours in the middle of the night, like laying wide awake. And um, I, I'm sharing that because... I sometimes uh, have good ideas come to me in the midst of those stretches. And I had this idea for a podcast. I was like, you know, none of us are going to get to go to like, you know, our, the concert we were looking forward to this summer, any festivals, but what if we made up fake festivals? And then I was like, well, how would that work? Or how could that make, how could you make an interesting podcast out of that? And I thought we could do a festival draft in which the three of us could each create a festival lineup of our choosing and we're going to draft bands and artists to be on that festival lineup one by one um, until we filled out the, the lineup card. So I'm going to run through the, the rules real quick, just so everybody understands that if you're playing along at home as you listen to the podcast, we would love to see your festival lineups as you create them. So feel free to share with those, uh, share those with us. You can follow us on Twitter at it's underscore all underscore dead. Um, or find us on Facebook and, and share with us there. But essentially how this is going to work is Nadia and Kyle and I are each going to take turns choosing bands for the lineup cards. We each have 15 spots to fill. There's going to be three headliners. These are the the big names that are going to you know attract the general public to the festival. And then we've got 12 other spots to uh, fill in with the rest um, of, of the bands that we, we want on our list. Now, the caveats here are that when we pick an artist or band, we have to pick them from a specific year. Um, and we all have kind of talked about the different reasons why we've picked artists for specific years. Um, I can just think back to different festivals I've been to at the past and how fun it was to see certain bands when they were on the rise or when they just hit stardom. There's any number of reasons you might uh, pick a band from a specific year. But once you do, um, we're going to you know use time travel to bring that that year year's version of that band to our festival but once we do that nobody else can pick that band for many year to be on their festival so um, we're doing that because time travel really does it puts a toll on the body and it's just you know we're trying to think uh you know lovingly about these bands and artists we love we don't want to put them through any extra stress from all the time travel so um 
I don't know. That's how it's going to work. Um, Nadia and Kyle probably hate me for doing this, but I'm glad that they are uh, kind enough to give it a try. Um, what did what did you guys as you guys were putting your list together before we get started? Was were there any certain thought processes going through your head other than I hate Kyle for making me do this? Well, I am upset we can't make a time paradox. Pete wins. Um, my <laughs> no, I thought this was a good idea. My uh, main issue is coming up with a headliner. Uh, mostly because I realize most headliners for me aren't going to be for other people. Like, you know, I'd be like, oh, newfound glory. I'm definitely coming. And I don't think uh, a lot of like big festivals really kind of have that mentality. So I was more like, oh, yeah, who would who would be a bigger name? What about you, Nadia? I had a, only a little bit of trouble um only because I was kind of thinking about what you guys were going to pick. And I was like, definitely not going to pick any of that. Um, so I definitely kind of went outside the box. I kind of went back through like my playlists and um, almost kind of picked certain of my favorite bands from like other time periods in my life, um, which I think will be interesting. Um, but now, now that we're talking about headliners, I think one of my headliners might be a problem, but we'll see. We will see. Um, you know, the the reason I put the dumb parameters in place is because I was like, when I first was thinking about it, I was like, we could do this and we would all draft 15 and they might all be different. So like, what are the things I could, like kinks I could throw in that might um, make it a little bit tougher or make it like harder to think through so that you're not overlapping with somebody? It may have backfired. We haven't done this yet. So uh, we're going to find out. But we uh, did a, uh, a little game before we got started to decide the draft order. And the order is going to be Nadia, Kyle Schultz, and then myself. And then we'll repeat that order until we've, we've filled out the 15 bands. So without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and jump into it. Um, Nadia, the Nadia Summer Festival is coming up. Uh, who's, the, who's your first headliner on the list? I'm sweating. Um, <laughs> my first artist that I have chosen is melodrama era lord so that'd be 2017 this is after pure heroin came out um mm. personally i just think it's a better album and i think that it ended up um showcasing like a different side of lord like more of a pop side i feel like it opened her up to a larger fan base yeah i like that that's a good choice uh Thanks. kyle you're up i'm gonna go green day circa 2010 um just after 21st Century Breakdown came out, they're still riding the high from American Idiot, uh, putting on you know, a three-hour-long concert. Still the single best show I've ever been to. And uh, I've seen Green Day a number of times, and they come close but have never quite topped that era. Yeah, I, uh, I should have known that they would be on your list. And it's interesting um, that... With Green Day, they're a band that you could pick from like so many <laughs> different years and they would still be like the big headliner on the list, right? Like you could pick 1995 Green Day and and throw them in there or 2010 or I mean, it's just what a <laughs> what a freaking career that band has had. I mean, that's that's crazy. Did you have any trouble? I mean, it seems like you kind of knew, Kyle, just because of your experience. Did you have any trouble picking a year for them? Uh, no, not really. Um, I If I had to pick two years it would either be 2010 or like 2004 right after american idiot um you know i i really love their early work too but i like where they're at at that point in their career where they've kind of gotten past that they're on to the second phase um and really doing something else and really making a blend of all those different eras and 
you know, I really like where they're at now in their career. Um, but I think around 2010, they still uh, had some type of fire that's not, it's still lit now, but it's uh, dimmed just a little bit. Why? Well, uh, that was a great pick. I love it. Um, okay. My first headliner is 1992 Nirvana. Um, I Nirvana was always going to be a headliner on my festival. Anybody that knows me knows that that's one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, I went 1992. I mean, there's only there's a pretty small uh, amount of years to choose from for this band. 1992 is kind of specific. That was the year that they played um, the Reading Festival over in the UK, and that felt you know it was a year after Nevermind had dropped. And they kind of reached that height of popularity where they were literally the biggest band in the world. But they'd also reached that point of kind of like, fuck it, we're over this. Um, and the if you look up performances, like the one of my favorite performances to look up is the uh, 1992 VMAs performance on MTV. Uh, Nirvana plays Lithium. It's batshit crazy because you can tell they're just there to like make a scene. Um, and 92 Nirvana at, at a festival to me is just like... I, I literally, you don't know what's going to happen, and I, I can't imagine anything uh, more enjoyable and, and fun than that. So that's my first pick. Nadia, your second headliner. All right. And my second headliner is going to be 2004 Killers um, with, of course, the release of mm. Hot Fuss um, skyrocketing up there on the charts. Yeah, that's a great one. Did you, I know they're one of your favorite bands. Did you have trouble picking year for them? No, actually, I um, I kind of thought about each of these bands, like either my favorite album or their best album. And obviously, there's no uh, competition with the Killers. That Hot Fuss is definitely their best album and their most influential. So, yeah, for sure, that was another interesting thing I found in, in doing these is that, like, so let's you know X band's best album or your favorite album by them. They're probably going to play songs from that no matter the year you pick, as long as it's after that album comes out. But if you pick it closer to when the album comes out, you know, you're getting a set loaded with those songs versus like maybe a couple hits from it. So that was something that kind of went through my mind and, and thinking about this as well. Um, all right, Kyle, you're up. Uh, I'm going to go Taylor Swift around 2012. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't a fan of hers yet, but that's right around when, when uh, Red came out and um, I really wish I could have kind of seen that transition live. I, you know, just that for me, that's her best album. And I really would have uh, enjoyed kind of seeing that in progress and seeing where it launched her to where she is now. Yeah, that's a, that's a great pick too. Cause like you said, you're kind of seeing that transition from country to pop kind of right before your eyes. Um, I love it. I feel, I, I almost put her on my list as well. Um, I I was trying to figure out I, I was I, I was thinking more like 1989 time frame for myself but um at that point you've kind of fully transitioned to you know kind of the pop behemoth that she is now but um I love the I love the 2012 pick my next pick is 1986 Genesis and uh you know again this is another one where if you know me fairly well this one probably isn't too surprising but for a lot of people it might make them want to gag um, look, I'm a big fan of Phil Collins and the reason I love, um, 86 Genesis is because they've just released Invisible Touch, which is my favorite album of Phil Collins era Genesis. And at that point, they're kind of nearing the, the end of their run. So I feel like not only am I getting to see my favorite songs of theirs, um, off Invisible Touch, but I'm also seeing a band that is kind of taking their, 
uh, unbeknownst to everybody at the time, but their victory lap before Phil Collins becomes a full-time um, huge solo artist. And, um, you know, you're probably getting a, a good mix of a pretty long and illustrious history of a really great band. So uh, 86 Genesis is second uh, on my headliner list. Nadia, you're up. Wow, you guys picked some like older music. Um, I guess I should have thought a little bit further back, but I didn't. Um, my third headliner is 2005 era Death Cab for Cutie. They just released Plans, which is arguably their saddest album, but it is still very mm. close to my heart. Yeah, nice. I didn't see Death Cab coming uh, from your list, Nadia. Really? I actually about, love Death Cab. How did you go about choosing? Um, I mean, it's Plans, if you view that as their best album, then I guess that kind of makes it obvious. I mean, I it's my favorite album, but I do actually equally like Codes and Keys, which I think is the next album after Plans, um, equally. Um, I actually saw them, I think, I think 2018. Everything, time is not real anymore. I don't remember when I saw <laughs> Death Cab. Um, but it was really a, just a great set. And that was actually the band that I talked about before we started recording, whether I was like concerned that they were a headliner, but I think they are. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, Kyle. Interestingly, I almost picked them for uh, a little further down the list, but I'm glad I didn't. Um, my uh, my final headliner, I'm going to go with the Ramones around 1980. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, for the, the original punk rockers, I didn't get into them until I was in college, even though I'd been, you know, listening to them my entire life. And, uh, and even though their career lasted well into the 90s um, before they kind of dismantled, uh, for whatever reason, I just, I can't listen to the albums that came out in the eighties. Like there's select songs that are good, but I just, I hate the style and the sound and I just, I can't do it. So right around 1980, they're still young. They're still fresh. They have like five albums of material within three years or something like that. Uh, they're not a very good live band, but that's part of the charm to them. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm going with that. That was a cool pick. I I love thinking about these and thinking about like who's coming to this festival. Like if somebody sees my list, like what person is that that sees that and then is like me and is like, oh man, that's amazing. Obviously, these are custom built for to be our um, favorites, but like the way that you could think about like what other people because there's always bands at a festival you don't want to see, but like the Ramones are going to bring like a, a pretty big crowd, so um, that's cool. My final headliner is 1999 Lauren Hill. Um, Lauren Hill, you know, from her time with the Fugees to her solo album *Miseducation of Lauren Hill*. This is this is the height of like she's won the Grammy. She's put out one of the best uh, hip hop and R and B albums of all time, and she's still just so mysterious. You never know when she's going to show up, where she's going to show up, and after this point, like people rarely um, have seen her again. She's sort of been a an artist that has sort of disappeared into the fog um and has certainly been um yeah just really mysterious and so i, I love the idea of her being at this festival and people being able to tell that story and my, me being able to tell that story of like i saw lauren hill in 1999 and she hasn't played a festival since then um plus you get to see uh, maybe she'll play the full album miss education who knows but um yeah i just love the idea of getting to experience that so those are the headliners. Now we move into um, the next 12 on our list. And these are all the names that are um, kind of descending through the the lineup card and, you know, smaller font, but they're still there. You're still seeing like, ooh, 
Um, I love that band. I want to see them. They're playing shorter sets, but they're there. Um, so let's let's keep it rolling. Nadia? All right. My first uh, down the line is Electra Heart era Marina. Um, she was still Marina and the Diamonds back then, but I feel like this is her most theatrical album, and I would have literally – actually, let's not say literally – I would have metaphorically killed to be at one of those shows. <laughs> yes, let's let's hope that you wouldn't have literally killed. But um, <laughs> this this part of the list is fun, just because I feel like I got to be kind of playful and thinking about like who I would want to see on here. And like I think there's, I, I would say some of mine at different points in their career could have been the headliners, but weren't when I picked them uh, to be the openers. So I'll be interested to see what you guys did with this as well. Um, Kyle, you're up. Uh, for me, this one is a given, and uh, the only reason they're not a headliner is just because it's arguable that you know they're the size of Green Day, but it, it has to be AFI every time. Um, yeah. If I had to pick an era, it might be 2009, right after Crash Love came out, but honestly, I want the AFI of today. Uh, I honestly think they just become mm-hmm. better after every album, and you know I've seen them live so many times over the last decade. Um, and every single show is just a better live performance than the last one. Yeah. I knew AFI was going to be on your list. And I feel like maybe there's certain years you could almost argue them into the headliner spot. That one's kind of like a fringe band for me. But like 2006, December Underground AFI. Um, yeah, but who knows? Yeah, I, I they, knew they would be on your list. They could definitely like kind of weasel their way in there. But I think they do better being a little bit of an underdog in a situation like that. Um if only because when you come out on the other side of the show, all you can think of is like, holy shit, how are they not the headliner? Yeah, <laughs> I love that. This is why this is so fun. I hope you guys are having fun, please. Um, okay, my first <laughs> <laughs> my first opener, um, I thought for sure somebody was going to take this band, and I kind of found out halfway before we started that uh, nobody was going to, but I went with 2008 Paramore. Um, Paramore is one of my favorite bands. Um, I would love to have them on my festival. I thought somebody might steal them. Um, they didn't. So they're on my festival. Um, Not naming any okay. names. <laughs> so 2008. Why 2008? They're just coming high off of Riot, which is the album that, you know, the first album to go platinum, sent them into the stratosphere, household name. Um, but also you're getting like that first sort of like, I mean, you're getting a band that's just full of fire at that point, And I, you know, I, I wish I could have seen the band during the riot tour during that era, just because I've, I've got a DVD. They seem so fun to watch. They're so full of just excitement, but you're also starting to get that transition of the band to a little bit. Um, I don't know, darker of an attitude, I guess. Plus uh, you also get a chance to maybe hear, you know, um, decode one of the songs they did for twilight, which is one of my favorite songs of theirs thrown into the mix. So maybe they're playing that for the first time at the festival, but um, Oh, eight Paramore was uh the, uh, the one I went with. So Nadia, you're up. All right. Next up is now this is a, I think this is a real wild card, even wilder than death cab um, is going to be 2009 Regina Spector. Um, mm. She released far that year. And I have always loved Regina Spector. I kind of went through a whimsical phase in high school. Like I was getting Isley. Um, I like that piano led, like, um, like interesting songwriting kind of deal. Um, and she's just, she's timeless. Yeah, that's a great one. That's, that's, that's another one that's just kind of eye-catching on the lineup card. You're like, oh, 
Regina Spector. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, she doesn't um, play very much, so. Yeah, I like it. Kyle? I, I'm i making a mental note further down the line. I need to remove Regina Spector from my list. <laughs> oh, no. No we way. First overlap. Nice. I'm Nadia. Lucky number Nadia. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm... Next up, I'm going to go with Saves the Day around 2006. Uh, this is right around when Sound the Alarm came out, um, their big, the start of their big trilogy. And it's the first time I saw Saves the Day live, and then I saw them almost almost once a year for years after that. Um, right around that era, you know, the band's still young. They still have a lot of their original members. Uh, Chris Conley is just rocking bright pink hair. Uh, the entire show is just, it was a lot of fun, just full of energy. Um, you know, it just, it was a, it was a good time. And uh, every time I think of Seize, I think of like that moment, even through now. And I, because of how good those shows were, I still go see him live uh, every time he's in, in the city. Yeah. Um, another one I kind of knew was on your list and also another band, much like Green Day, but in a different way where you could pick from so many different eras or years of that band and get a completely different experience. Um, some good, some bad. <laughs> yeah, but, that's, um, that's definitely one that almost every fan has a different uh, album that they prefer. Right. Um, very cool. Well, next up is my favorite band. They were always going to be on the list, and I've seen them more times than any other band. I think I've seen them nine times at this point. And so I was thinking to myself, like, when, what would I want to experience again from this band, which is Under Oath? And I went back to the very first time I ever saw them play, 2005. Um, they are blowing up. They're at in 05, the summer of 05. I mean, you've got Fallout Boy and Panic at the Disco on the rise, but leading up to that moment, you could argue Under Oath is maybe the biggest band in the scene, just with how big they blew up after they're only chasing safety. And so in 05, it's a summer later, and you're seeing the band kind of come into their own as live performers. And I'll, still, the first time I ever saw them, um, yes, I mean, they're my favorite band, so the first time I saw them live was going to be an experience. But that crowd and that moment was just so wild and so crazy and so amped up. That's an experience I wish I could rewind to. Um, so even though they're only chasing safety, isn't my favorite under oath album, that time period and the excitement surrounding the band at that point um, is something that I would love to experience again. So Oh five under oath is on my list. Nadia. All right. Next up for me, we have 2013, 21 pilots. Um, I, Considered putting them in my headliner section, but uh, in 2013, I don't know if that would have been accurate. So yeah. I kept them down further in the list. Um, Vessel had just been released. They just signed a Field by Ramen, and their shows were starting to get um, they were starting to get more popular. And I actually just I think I just just missed seeing them in the Vessel era. I saw them on the first tour um, of the Blurry Face cycle. It was the first time I saw them. So. Yeah, that's another one where you could have picked a year where they probably could have been a headliner. I saw them back around that time period. I hadn't mm -hmm. heard of them. They were at a festival and they were not a headliner. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was an interesting performance. You could tell they were still trying to like figure out like how to do their thing um, on a stage that big or, you know, just in that type of setting. So it was a band that was definitely coming into their own at that point. But they, were, they still had like a very clear, like there was a, the small group of people at the front of the crowd that were like, into it um and everybody else was like who are these guys so that that's a i kind of like thinking about um those sorts of situations that's a that's a good pick. yeah i would have loved to be back in like their basement shows with just them and like five people yeah um next up oh kyle you're next sorry about 
jumped over you. Sorry. Aha, sorry to ruin your day. Um, for me, this might be a little short-sighted. I'm going to go with The Interrupters 2021. Mm. I, I am wow. in love with The Interrupters. Their last album came out in 2018, and I still it's still like the most listened to album uh, that I've been playing for almost a year and a half now. Um, I, I can't get enough of them. They're still a relatively new band, but they have, you know, a pretty big discography. It's only they've gotten, uh, popular with this last release and I cannot wait for their new album. And, uh, yeah, I want to see them about a year from now when they've got a bit more time under the feet and have a couple new songs. That is fascinating. I did not even consider going into the future. Uh, I, I only thought I, I didn't even cross my mind. Wow. Switching it up on us. I love that. Um, all right. My next pick is The Weeknd from 2012. Um, I've been a, a fan of The Weeknd since the jump. And, you know, 2011 is kind of when his stuff started surfacing online. We got those three EPs, but it was just so nobody knew, like, who it was or who was involved in the project and where it was coming from. It was kind of one of these just uh, at least it felt like a completely organic, out of the blue moment where an artist just kind of appeared before our eyes but nobody knew who they were and so 2012 is when he makes his first festival appearance and you've got all these people that are that have loved this music that's been like surfacing online and they want to go see who this is and see them perform and when i think about that kind of experience of like whoever's about to walk on out on stage like we're about to find out who this is and and what they're all about and so um i just love that the weekend somebody you could pick like you know a, a recent version of him to be a headliner, but I, I love the idea of him like started coming into the public as a, as a new artist. And, and I still like, I didn't get to see him during that point, but I look at videos online and, and watch them. And I just, um, yeah, it just seems like such a cool experience. Uh, Nadia. All right. Next up for me is mm-hmm, era Reliant K 2004. Um, mm. I saw the 10th anniversary show. This is actually one of the first shows um, I was able to go to by myself. We've talked about that with Amberlin. Um, I was 14 and, um, yeah, I would, I loved seeing that 10th anniversary tour because of how much love the songs have like garnered over the years. Um, but I would actually love to see them fresh, fresh out of the recording session. Um, there was such a different energy. Like there was such like a, a comfortable energy that was at that 10th anniversary show. But I feel like, um, I'd love to hear those songs originally, like as they were intended and not just kind of stripped back as, you know, uh, Matt Thiessen's, you know, like piano. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, uh, so I was fortunate enough to see both the 10 year anniversary of that tour and see them play a festival right after that album came out. And that experience of back then, I think it was 05 when I saw them um, at that point was one of the best one of the best experiences I've had. So that is a, that is a fantastic pick. Thank you. Um, Kyle. Um, so uh, my next pick is a band. I don't know if either of you have ever heard of. Uh, it's a band called Homegrown. Uh, they were a blatant Blink-22 ripoff signed to drive through records in the early 2000s. And um, it, it was around that time when like, you know, pop punk and skate punk were really, really kind of getting big. And, I fell in love with them. Um, even at the time, I recognized they were just, you know, an enema of the state ripoff, but they were so good at what they did. Uh, you know, they had an obvious uh, Tom and Mark figure trading vocals, um, just really fast, really heavy guitars, amazing drumming. 
uh, songs went from, you know, one song would be angsty teenage emo, uh, you know, just kind of emotion things. And then the next song would just be a douchey college guy song, but it just works so well. And it's kind of been a personal goal of mine to see as many drive through bands live as possible. And that's one that I'll never get the chance to see. Um, 2004 is right after their big, uh, their biggest album, uh, Kings of Pop came out and right before their last EP, which was a much more immature sound. So I think that would have been a good time to kind of see them in that transition phase. Nice. Dropping some knowledge on us. Very cool. Um, my next one is the 1975 from 2013, another band that we could pick a recent version of to be the headliner, I think. Um, but 2013, 1975 had just put out their self-titled debut. Um, they are a band on the rise. I remember the summer of 2013 and there were a few bands that kind of like all hit that summer. You had churches, Heim, the 1975, like these sort of buzz bands and in the indie rock scene that were coming up. And the 1975, at that point is a completely different iteration than what we have now, but yet you can see the building blocks of what was to come. And so just kind of the buzzworthiness of that, that summer's version of 1975, I think would be um, really cool to experience. Nadia. All right. And my spot was actually going to be the 1975. Ooh. And I, 2015. um, So the, I like it when you sleep, I liked the softer aesthetic they had picked up at that point. Um, however, I did have a second choice next to that because I knew, I said, I bet you Kyle Hawk will have the 1975 <laughs> on his list. Um, and so I ended up actually Xing out the 1975 con- completely and I switched it out with Mumford and Sons from 2012. Mm. So, uh, Mumford and Sons was another high school phase that I went through, you know, the whole folk, uh, folk pop. That's what I was trying to say folk pop sure. thing that happened um in those couple of years we had hosier and all of those guys trying to bring back the acoustic guitar and the banjo yeah. and i think it worked for them um in that year um sino more is another great album but i feel like Babel is when they really came into their own um like like definition yeah. of the genre in 2012, Mumford is like teetering on the edge of headliner too. Um, I, I was going to wonder that as well. And I did actually, um, I remember reviewing Delta, the, the one that came after this album. So yeah, very cool. They're definitely Kyle. still there. All right. This one's going to take a little bit of explaining. <laughs> um, got some explaining to do. I sure do. Uh, I'm going to go with Goldfinger about a year from now. Um, and the reason for that is I've liked Goldfinger ever since I first heard Superman on the, uh, Tony Hawk pro skater soundtrack. And, um, they're, they're a band I've followed their career for like the last 20 years or so. And, you know, I've always been a fan, but never really, um, delved into them that much. And it is, it was a band I'd listen to when I just need, you know, like comfort food or something like that. Um, and even though John Feldman is the singer and songwriter and he's a legendary producer, I've always felt like their albums were a little not produced great. Um, so there was always this weird dichotomy where it's just like, it, I like the band, but they always kind of fell off. And since uh, quarantine, they've started putting out quarantine videos on YouTube that they're re-recorded versions of their songs, but they are so much better than anything released recorded for the album. Um, and it's become one of my favorite things that I honestly wait for 
uh, every week just to see if a new one's out. And it sounds like the band is just so full of energy. Like, even though they're all kind of quarantined in their own places playing by themselves, um, you know, they just seem like they're having a blast doing it. You know, they're petting their dogs mid-song and everything. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, my God, I can't remember his name. Mike Herrera. Uh, <laughs> I almost called him Matt. Okay, yay. <laughs> uh, Mike Herrera is doing bass. Like, he looks like he's just loving what he does. And, uh, you know, John Feldman's in his recording studio just, you know, eating it up. Like, everyone just looks so happy to be doing it. And I feel like for a band that hasn't really been talked about in a long time, and it kind of feels like they've kind of been winding down their career, uh, to come back with something that energetic and that it that just feels like it's that full of love, I feel like a year from now they're going to be a completely energized band in a way like no one's ever seen before and uh i really hope that's the case very cool yeah i did not see that would come and that's another uh very ingenious pick so for my next one i'm picking a band that hasn't even been started yet 10 years from now um no i'm just kidding um <laughs> it was a it was a joke um Boo! okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. My next pick is 2016 Carly Rae Jepsen um, because I love Carly Rae Jepsen. This is a year removed from Emotion, best pop album of the past, the last decade, in my opinion. Um, I was fortunate enough to see her in the spring of 2016, one of the best shows I've ever been to in my life. Um, I know she played Pitchfork that summer. Um, it was a via a friend that was there to see it. Uh, it was an a, amazing experience, but this is sort of the reinvention of Carly Rae Jepsen for the indie crowd, and it's perfect for a summer festival. So um, that seemed like the the most obvious iteration of, of Carly Rae to put on the list. Nadia. Alrighty. I have, I have two options for this because I want to originally go with, of course, with yesterday's release pedals for armor but does that count as paramore well we would be asking Haley to you know time travel twice but you know you... we'll allow it it's a different name we'll allow it <laughs> it's Yay, paradox. not a different name <laughs> um i actually so i had either Haley or if you wouldn't let me i was gonna go with julian baker um but uh yeah Those obviously <laughs> i know but obviously we want pedals for armor and I was supposed to see her and that got canceled, but it's fine. Um, so I'm hoping to see her next year when she reschedules those shows, but obviously the album is incredible. Yeah. You can so. check out her review at it's all hey, It's a good one. Self promo. Kyle, you're up. Uh, I'm going to go with something corporate from around 2004. Um, it's the only incarnation of Andrew McMahon I've never seen live. Uh, this is when he still had his really long hair. He's jumping on the piano. Uh, all the band members hadn't found out that they really hated each other yet. <laughs> um, they were still riding the high from just the masterpiece that North is as an album. And uh, I think this would have been a really good time to uh, see that. And I was supposed to go see a concert at that time. And for whatever reason, I couldn't go. They were playing with Yellow Card. And, um, I had to back out the last minute and like, you know, a year later, something corporate disbands. So this one's, this is my ghost of Christmas past. Yeah. I like it. That's cool. Picking from an era that you haven't been able to experience. Um, my next one is 19 or no, sorry. 
getting ahead of myself. 2004, My Chemical Romance, and I'm shocked that they haven't been named yet. I thought for sure somebody would would have them, but I I got this far and I get to keep them. So, um, 04, My Chemical Romance, another thing, uh, another time period of this band that I did fortunately get to see live. I got to see them play a really small club show in Oklahoma City right before this was just, I mean, I don't know, probably a few months before they hit MTV and started to to really blow up. But 04, My Chemical Romance was just this gritty, grimy, punk rock show. Um, you know, Gerard may have not been in a great, I think, personal place at that time, but it kind of lined up perfectly with thematically with what Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge was all about. Um, and that band was just like you could just see they that they were about to be stars. Um, so I love not picking them as the headliner. I, I've also seen them play like huge stages. Um, and that was never as fun to me as seeing them play like a small club show. So seeing them as sort of an, uh, a further down the list opener at, at this festival, I love the idea of that, of them like hitting the stage with fire to try to make a name for themselves. So oh four, my Kim, uh, Nadia. All right. Skipping up to 2011 with Vices and Virtues, Panic at the Disco. Interesting. I this is my favorite album that they've released. Is it? I don't know if there's. It's their best. I mean, I know everybody thinks we should go with, um, you know, the height of their career with a fever you can't sweat out. But um, vices and virtues, along with kind of the Marina deal, is I feel like just the most interesting time to see the band. I feel like they really like came into their own at that point and like owned that kind of like theater goth aesthetic. Yeah, that's definitely, I view that as sort of the second chapter of what now is three chapters in my mind of that band. Um, but you're getting to see Brendan fully become the leader of what Panic of the Disco is at that yeah. point and begin to sort of spread his wings a little bit. So that's very cool. Uh, Kyle, you're up. I'm going with Real Big Fish uh, from around 2010. Um, they still had some of their uh, more popular band members that have left in the last few years. Um, I got to see them about a year before this, and it's one of the best live shows I've ever been to. Just, um, you know, kind of a small theater with three to 500 people just dancing for hours. It just, it's one of those experiences that uh, I went to the show with some friends and I didn't know anything about the band. And it was so incredible that within a week I had listened to every song they'd ever released. Um and I, I really like that era. I think they're still an amazing band, but I think right then there's uh, a little bit of kind of like magic they had going on. Yeah, Real Big Fish is definitely a summer festival band. Like that's just the out, like you want to see them outdoors when the sun's shining and people are sweating. Um, it's kind of the perfect, perfect place to, to experience that band. Um, my next pick is 1998 MXPX, another one of my all-time favorite bands. Went with 98 because they're coming off, um, you know, 96, they release uh, Life in General, which sort of cements them as one of the signature pop punk bands of the 90s. And then they release Slow, Slowly Going the Way of the Buffalo, which is their first album after they left Tooth and Nail Records and are starting to kind of stretch out onto their own. So at this point, they are like one of the big pop punk bands. They're kind of like happening right before Blink-182 is about to change the game and make pop punk mainstream essentially so it's kind of that last summer um where pop punk is still something that you can kind of hold in your hand and um experience as sort of a, a niche group uh as far as an audience goes so uh yeah 98 mxpx 
All right, next up we have probably in the smallest font at, all the way at the bottom of the poster, uh, Falling <laughs> Up. 2013, they released oh. this album called Hours. And I know, again, everybody thinks that we should put, you know, Hotel Aquarium up there. Um, but Hours is their most interesting album. I don't even know if they actually toured it. I don't think they did. But um, physically, the album is interesting in that um, Jesse created a comic book to go along with the album. So there's like a whole visual aspect. Um, so, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see how that would translate to a live, a live show. Yeah, that's interesting. I I would uh, falling up was a band I really loved early on. I, I would pick like O five falling up because Don Escapes is my favorite album of theirs. But they've uh, they went through so many different phases and iterations, and um, that you could really pick from a lot a lot of different spots. So um, very cool. I've uh, Kyle, you're up. Uh, I'm gonna be bending the rules just a little bit on this one, um, and you can call me on it as you see fit. New rule breaker. Teehee. Um, and I, I had to keep this one because I thought of it and I just became obsessed. And then I kind of started playing with it on my uh, iTunes. But so, all right, let me paint you a picture. It's circa 2011. On one stage, on one side, we have Destroy, Rebuild, Until God Shows. And on the other side, Chiodos. And oh. Craig Owens runs back and forth from band to band, basically having a battle of the bands with himself trying to see which one <laughs> the audience really enjoys. And uh, I don't know if I'm more obsessed with the idea of him just running across the stage from like mic to mic to do this or to have um, the other singer, Brandon Balmer, with Chiodos and have the two of them duke it out so that way fans of the bands can finally kind of settle, uh, you know, which of those lineups would be better. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, yeah, very cool experience. I mean, I, I'm a big Craig Owens fan. Um, Chiodos is definitely a, a band that many a warp tour in the summer heat has uh, been fun to watch, but drugs as well. So um, yeah, that's cool. I like it. Um, okay, for me, next up is 1985 Tears for Fears. Um, this one kind of came out, out of the blue for me. I didn't expect to see this name on my lineup card, but as I was making it, I was like, man, I just want to see this band uh, kind of at the height of their popularity in the 80s. Um, you know, shout, everybody wants to rule the world. I think this would be like a really, you're, you're getting to see like the the moment for this band that I think still today kind of reverberates in different ways. But in the moment in 85, I just feel like it'd be such a fun, cool experience. So um, that one was a little out of left field, but uh, 85 tears for fears that's actually a super great choice i um thank you i've grown to love the 80s at first i was like ugh, the 80s but now now <laughs> i enjoy them you and the no, rest of the world i know you were my one ally bro i you gotta give it a try um my next <laughs> choice is closure in moscow pink lemonade I don't know how many people actually know them. And I feel like they've been around a lot longer than I've known them, but Pink Lemonade is like one of those very interesting albums um, that I think would just translate very well to a live show. Maybe not even in a festival setting, but um, just, I don't know. I think it has just an interesting energy. I think it'd be fun to kind of dive into. So is that like 2014? Yes, 2014. All righty. 
Kyle. Um, I'm going to go with Cartel circa 2007. Mm. Um, part of that is, so 2007, they released their self-titled album and I fell in love with it immediately. And I actually saw them live around that time. And I, uh, it was an amazing show. Uh, they put out Chroma, their most well-known album just a couple years before that. And, uh, the band just had this energy. They're just blasting with it. And the live shows are amazing. And, um, I don't know what it was around that time. Like it felt like they were the next big band and their self-titled album came out. I fell in love with it and it seemed like no one listened to it whatsoever. And yeah. um, I, I feel like that era is just one of those right at the edge cliff of a band where anything can happen and they're just bristling with fire and uh, it's right before they just kind of disappeared. Yeah, that's definitely a pivotal moment. Um, and they were the band on the brink. I mean, they were the band in the bubble on MTV where they recorded that album as a reality show. So um, that was a big time for the band. I always think of 05 and Chroma um, that summer um, when that album came out. But um, 07 was definitely kind of that that pivotal moment for them. Um, next up for me, I've got 1995 Jewel. Um, this is when she released Pieces of You. It's like in my mind, one of the most underrated albums of the 90s. You're getting to see Jewel on stage with a guitar, just strumming and playing these like incredibly sad, heartbreaking songs. And I feel like at a summer festival, like the energy's high, everything's moving, but you got to have a, at least a couple of those sets where somebody's just stripped down, just an acoustic guitar, um, and everybody's kind of like singing along almost dashboard confessional style. And so that's why um, Jewel in 95 jumped out to me as somebody that I wanted to, to have on the lineup. All right. We have for you, Quiet Company, We Are All Where We Belong from 2011. Um, this is released as the first album after the band decides, no, we don't want to be a Christian band anymore. After they played like Cornerstone Fest, they kind of went into the whole um, like Christian rock scene. And they decided they didn't want to be a part of it anymore. And they came out with um, this great album that kind of talks all about, you know, like why they decided to leave the Christian scene. Um, and it's just a very interesting, like, time in their history. And one of Jeremiah and I's favorite bands. So I had to represent them. The We Don't Want to Be Classified as a Christian Band Anymore era is a great era of many bands um <laughs> just throwing that out there <laughs> kind of. um, um they actually still like use a lot of like good. yeah they kind of like use a lot of religious imagery still but um it's just not in the same way <laughs> so. I, I will say and not to be weird for anybody that's listening but the we don't want to be known as a christian band anymore era is way better than the we're a christian band now era um just uh just just throwing that out there like yeah, anytime definitely. an artist goes super religious out of nowhere it always ends badly typically uh, <laughs> but anyway okay sorry i'm getting i'm getting sidetracked okay uh <laughs> kyle you're up uh i'm going with jason mraz circa 2009 um left field <laughs> well it's a it's a year after we sing we dance we steal things came out which is i think his last great album um, it's the last one where he really kind of buried himself uh, in terms of songs. Like everything that's kind of released since then, it's good, but it's all very much the same. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it, I don't know, it does. It hasn't really done anything. But right around then, he had some great releases that had just come out in the early 2000s. And I, I got to see him live in 2009, I want to say. And 
it was just it was a great live show um you know he really tried to vary his songs and play them differently live than they are on the album and just it was a lot of fun and i would like to see him in that uh aspect again yeah jason mraz another you know there's a certain iteration of him that's teetering on the the headliner brink as well so um but different uh, some different choices in there for him which is kind of cool um my next one is 1994 Nas, um, one of my favorite rappers of all time. He's just released Illmatic, and he has been sort of like the buzzworthy new guy on the block rapper for a while that's about to come into the genre and completely change everything we know about rap music. And so thinking about that time period when Illmatic dropped and how everybody was starting to change the way that they look and think about that genre is super exciting. Um, plus, it would just be cool to see Nas and like, maybe just playing that album in its entirety. So um, yeah, Nas, 1994. All right, bringing it back down to the emo side of things with Turnover's Peripheral Vision. Um, I feel like this was their big album. Um, I saw them play with Pianos Become the Teeth the first time I saw them. I didn't didn't know who they were, Um, and I really liked them. And I saw them after they released their next album after Peripheral Vision, and... I longed for the peripheral vision time. Um, not to say that the new album's not good. It is. It's just a different vibe. Um, and I kind of like their their more emo side. Yeah. Vibe definitely matters when you're thinking about filling out the uh, the summer festival. Um, it's got to be got to be the right fit for the, the space. Um, Kyle, you're up. I, I'm going to go with Midtown from about 2002. Um, Another one of the drive-through record bands I haven't seen live. We we almost drove out to Serpent's Gate to see them a few years ago, um, but this was an era for them where it was just pure pop punk, just great songs. I gave Supporta, yeah, Supporta, uh, writing before he became very, um, I don't know how to describe uh, <laughs> Cobra Starship that much. Um, but it just seems, it seems like an era when they were having fun, um, Living Well's The Best Revenge had just come out, uh, and they were another one of those bands that were, like, right on the edge of becoming as big as Blink-22, and instead, like, created their own, um, kind of cult following, and, uh, yeah, I'd really like to see that. Yeah, it's funny. I actually considered Cobra Starship in 2008 to be on my list, and I, you know, I know I'm such an outlier in this, but... I love I loved when that band came just cuz they were they were so weird and it seemed to piss people off so much but like I saw them play Warp Tour in 08 and it was a freaking party like it was just it was wild and so I they were one of the first first bands I cut off the list but I know most people would definitely prefer to see Midtown from a Gabe Supporta standpoint um all right next up for me is Frank Ocean 2011 and this one is super weird because I feel like, well, one, I didn't want to take up a headliner spot that I wanted to give to Nirvana, Genesis, and, and Lauren Hill. And there's a lot of Frank Ocean years where he's probably going to be the headliner just because he plays so infrequently so that when he actually does perform, he's 
he's a a big ticket. But 2011 is before either of his albums comes out. I mean, he's put out his mixtape, Nostalgia Ultra, and he's got the Novocaine, which hit the web and started to turn into like, wait, what is this? What's happening? Is Frank Ocean about to kind of break out on his own from Odd Future and and turn into something? But it it's kind of goes back to the weekend in 2012 where it's it's a little mysterious. We don't know what to expect from this artist, but people are starting to get into it and it feels like something really cool is about to happen. So I, I know it's weird to pick an artist before they've even released an album officially, but Frank Ocean was definitely there in 2011 doing things and people were definitely starting to kind of shift their gaze towards him a little bit. And I think it would have been kind of cool to experience that. Um, all right. So this is it. We are down to our final, final name on the list. Nadia. This is it. My last choice for the festival that I've created is 2005 Flyleaf. First album, fresh off the, uh, fresh off the music boat. Flyleaf, Lacey at her youngest. Lacey's still in the band, really. Um, yeah. I never saw Flyleaf. I longed for them to do a uh, reunion tour, but I don't know if that's actually going to happen. Um, just really want to see Flyleaf. Yeah, I like that pick a lot. Um, that that debut album is still fantastic in my mind. So good. Um, yeah, that, that would be... A, they would be a blast to see in in 05. All right, Kyle, what do you got? The Academy is from 2005. Oh yeah. Um, you know, they had just gotten onto the scene for a brief moment. They were I want to say more popular than Panic at the Disco um in terms of Field by Ramen artists. Yes. Um and just this crazy band that came out of nowhere and uh it's just amazing. We we were lucky enough to see them reunite at Riot Fest a few years ago, but yeah, um, and that was great. But I'd like to see them in, uh, you know, the original environment. Kyle, I love that pick so much. Um, I, I just want to marry it and move away to uh, <laughs> <Desert> Island. <laughs> and that's actually the first thing that popped into my mind when you said it. As we saw, so for the ten year anniversary of that album, they reunited at Riot Fest and played. And I've got a video on my phone they come out to attention the first song on the album and the there's a, just a sea of people and everybody's singing along, but the two voices you can hear in my video the most are ours, which are both really bad, but we're singing at the top of our lungs. <laughs> it's like, it's just such a beautiful moment. I love that pick. Um, all right. My final pick, this was, so I've got my first cut that I left off. I'll say was 2008 Mayday parade. I went with 2012 clips, um, the hip hop duo, um, sorry, this says 2012, 2002, <laughs> they were not still active in 2012, <laughs> 2002 clips, um, you know, Lord Willen is hit. Um, we're going to see grinding live. Um, we're going to see, um, you know, when the last time it, that album was just a hit factory produced by the Neptunes. It was like the sound of my freshman year of college and the idea of seeing, uh, Malice and, and Pusha T together on stage. Um, right as they're coming into their own is just so cool. It makes me want to squeal with glee. So uh, 2012 clips finishes out my, my summer festival. So that's it. We did it. Hooray. Good job. Yay. How did it feel? Much less stressful like I, than I had anticipated. Yeah. But I also felt like I abandoned some of my closest friends. <laughs> mm. Wait, what does that mean? Why'd you have to take Paramore from me, man? <laughs> <laughs> i told you you know you know you, i i, I, I picked last so that i could give you guys a chance to pick my stuff so I know. 
honestly, I actually didn't expect three quarters of your list. Yeah, my yeah, list so. got weird. It was not. It went much different than I expected. Yeah. But um, I'm really happy looking. Like I would go to this festival in a heartbeat. So yeah, I feel um, like we kind of rounded ourselves out pretty well all together. For sure. Well, um, we are going to put our festival lists online. Uh, we're going to put them up at itsalldead.com so you can come see them, comment on them, and share your own list. Please uh, put together your favorite summer festival, like your dream summer festival lineup. Share it with us. Uh, find us on Twitter, Facebook, and of course, come to itsalldead.com. Kyle and Nadia, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Clearing some boredom out. <laughs> Yep, we are passing the time here. Uh, you've been listening to It's All Dead. If you like our podcast, uh, subscribe to it on your favorite podcast platform. And of course, come to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing. That is going to do it for this episode of It's All Dead. I'm Cal Hawk, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the It's All Dead podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Then visit us at itsalldead.com for the latest music news, reviews, and much more.